You're listening to Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher on Lead to Soar, bringing you the best leadership advice and mentorship from around the world. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Hi, Michelle. It's so nice to be back with you for another episode of Lead to Soar. Great to be back, Mel. And well, you know, here we go. We're going to talk about something that Gee whiz, we hear a lot about all the time from in our own lives, in our, from our Lead to Soar network members and the general zeitgeist that you hear around social media and what have you. What is it, Mel? What do you hear? Well, we're here to talk about meetings today, having better meetings. And, you know, I think we brought this topic up to one another behind the scenes a long time ago. And... I was working at an engineering consultancy that shall not be named, and I kept experiencing these meetings where a lot of words happened, but not a lot of action or decision-making happened, and maybe I was having a bit of a rant with you, so maybe we should start there. (laughs) Yeah, look, I'm here for a rant, always, but... Dear listeners, hang in there. We will have a rant, but then we're going to give you, of course, some things to think about, but some actionable insights. And I was reflecting as we were getting ready to record this, Mel, about, I don't know, I think we were probably about six months into the global pandemic and this wave of memes hit social media, which was, oh my God, I've just gone to another Zoom meeting that should have been an email. And I thought, isn't this interesting? Here's another thing that the pandemic is throwing a huge spotlight on, which is our culture of running and showing up to and being in meetings. So that kind of is fresh in my mind about how many times we have a meeting when, hey, it could have been something else. But then the other thing I kind of lose my tiny mind over is just how much time people spend in meetings. I notice that acutely now or in the last, because I worked for myself for the last eight years, coming out of the corporate world and into working for myself, how many less meetings I have and how much more effective I am. Now, I don't think you can draw a straight line between my corporate executive role and the one that I'm doing now, but I think we can draw some conclusions from that and perhaps tease that one out. And then my favourite, oh, I'm in back-to-back meetings all week. Holy moly. So, yeah, there's just a lot of going, lot going on with meetings and no one ever goes, oh, goody, I've got a meeting to go to. So what do we do about that? <laughs> yeah, Michelle, I want to reiterate, too, what you were saying. The research clearly showed that after the onset of the pandemic and more people going to remote work, people were spending a significant amount more of their time in meetings. And what does that mean for productivity? So for those of you who are working in the consulting world, like I was, this really blew my mind because there's always this talk about your billable work and how many billable hours you've got. And yet our leaders and managers in maybe some companies that haven't gotten their meetings to an effective place yet drag too many people into too many meetings for too long a period of time. So what can we do about that? Let's, I don't know, start to break some of that down. For sure. And, you know, even 
outside of the consulting industry, here's some things I think about in meetings and have particularly later in my career, a career when I had authority to make pretty bold statements, I'd look around the room in meetings and think and then say, wowee, look at the wages around this meeting. And in some cases, I would add them up, particularly when I was pretty clear about who was getting paid what. And I'd look at the wages and the cost, just the primary cost of the time for those people to be in that meeting. Then you look at the secondary and tertiary costs or opportunity cost. What could those people have been doing otherwise? And we talk about productivity. And of course, productivity, dear listeners, is not being busy. It's leading for outcomes. It's working towards achieving and sustaining those outcomes, the the strategic and financial outcomes that are critical to your organization's success. One more time, productivity is not being busy. No, no. And let's not get me on the, the busy rant wagon. So yes, we all roll our eyes and go, oh, wow, I'm going to a meeting, <laughs> back-to-back meetings. Oh my God, you know, my, my week's full of meetings. But let's really break this down because this is a really important issue. Number one, I think, is does this really need to be a meeting? Number two, do I really need to be there? And number three, if I am there, what is the outcome that is going to be generated as a result of me being there. Those are just straight up really good questions to ask yourself. (laughs) And I'm just reminded of yet another meme that I've seen recently, which was at the start of my career, I wished I could go to all those meetings I saw people going to. In the middle of my career, I felt quite important because I was invited to and going to those meetings. And now at this point in my career, I would do anything that's even vaguely illegal to get out of going to those meetings. So, you know, it's just there's ego wrapped up in this as well, Mel, I think, or, or status and things like that. So where do we go? What do we do to really start to think more critically about meetings and meeting culture in our organizations? So I want to mention that we're speaking to all of our listeners out there, whether you're the person that's invited to the meeting or you're the person who's organizing the meeting. So if you're the person who's being invited, there is the potential for you to need to have some tough conversations around why you say no to a meeting or just politely questioning, do I really truly need to be in this meeting? So One thing that can happen that I've certainly experienced is companies that have a culture of everyone needs to have a say. Everyone gets to have a vote. And the problem with everyone having a vote is that everyone has a veto. That means that any singular person in the room can really slow down the process towards getting to an effective decision. But going higher level than that, Michelle, maybe we should start with what are some of the different types of meetings out there? So I just mentioned one, a a meeting where a decision needs to get made, but what other types of meetings would you identify? Well, certainly in my experience, and I use here in Australia, the Australian Institute of Company Directors has got a really good framework. It's not one size fits all, but it's around, you know, there are meetings where we are here to decide and we are here to make a decision about a particular matter or matters. And 
there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into making sure that we can make a decision there. There are meetings for discussion and we need to discuss and learn and provide input to a particular matter and in preparation for perhaps a decision being made by people further up the hierarchy than us or simply we need to discuss and think together critically about a particular matter. There are meetings for information. Now, these are the ones that I get a little bit bent out of shape about because there's a lot of meetings where a lot of information is conveyed. And I think, hmm, they're the ones that I question. Could that be a Slack message, email, whatever? And then we have workshops and then we have training. And I think my experience is, Mel, that we jumble a whole bunch of those things together. And when you're running all week, running, running, running from this to that to the other. I mean, back-to-back meetings, blah, blah. It can be easy not to be strategic about where you show up, i.e. what meetings, but also the type of meetings that you ask other people to show up for. So being strategic means that you sit back and you plan your week. So you run your week, you don't let the week run you. And part of that is saying, What are the most critical things that I need to accomplish this week and how might I do that? So let's use a really practical example. I need to present a business case to the investment committee at the end of the month for a new product that we're going to develop. I need the funding and I need the investment committee to approve the funding. So I need people to help me develop that business case. Now, I think that there's real benefit in breaking it down and saying, who do I need to have with me at what particular time to help me develop the business case? Does it need to be a meeting? There's probably one brief scene setting meeting at the start of that to say, here's what I'm doing, here's why I'm doing it, and here's the outcome I'm looking for. All of you are stakeholders. Thank you very much for contributing. And now we're going to manage via other mechanisms rather than have multiple meetings over the next four-week period because people, as you would know, Mel, from developing a business case or any other kind of pitch, there's some work to be done. Mm. So you need to go and do research. You need to do some writing. There needs perhaps be some graphical stuff. That can't get done effectively in meetings. So it's almost like you've got to set the scene at the start of that, set the tasks, put milestones in place and a communication method and then have an appropriate juncture where you get together with the people to make sure you're on track and then away you go. That's just one tiny example of being much more effective. What I've seen is people go, all right, well, we'll just have a meeting every week or sometimes twice a week to talk about the business case that Michelle's going to present to the investment committee. There might not be adequate role and responsibility discussion at the start. Whose role And whose responsibility is it to do stuff and to hold people accountable, so on and so forth. So what you've got to take out of there is what is the purpose of this meeting? Is it to inform people? Is it to discuss and create, iterate on a concept? Or is it to just make a decision on something? Yeah, and I'll just add from the sort of subordinate perspective that if you, the organizer, 
can't clearly answer these questions about what the meeting is for and why it needs to happen, especially with that kind of frequency, weekly, monthly, whatever, the people attending are not clear on it either. One of the experiences I had was sort of a monthly team meeting where none of this was clear. It felt to me like we would come on every month and have the same meeting every month. It's still not clear to me if the purpose was to report out to one another, to report out to leaders on the call, or just to have camaraderie, because Mm. that's how it would go. It would be report outs or completely devolve into just random discussion about different topics. In either case, I walked away feeling like it was a poor use of time. I want to come in with an example there. And I've I've talked about this team that I was so, so pleased to be the leader of my last gig in, in corporate Australia. And we decided as a team, because I hated schlepping up for the weekly team meeting in most cases, because it was exactly how you described it. And I thought, you know what, I'm just not going to subject my team to that. And we decided as a team that we would get together once a month as a group of human beings to check in with each other. And I said, there'll be no stats, there'll be no dashboards, there'll be nothing else, because we can see all that. We knew the outcomes that we were leading for. And we had dashboards and we had shared sites and all that kind of stuff that we could do that. And if people needed information in between times, they could get it from me or from others. And, And I will add really diverse team with a bunch of different streams of work, not all related, I might add, and people who are working hybridly. So all over the shop. So we decided from the outset, we were going to get together face to face as a group of humans for two hours once a month to check in on each other. We had the mad, sad, glad, which was our way of checking in with each other. Question time, Michelle, what's happening within the stratosphere of, of the bank and anything else that was relevant? That sounds refreshing. I so looked forward to it. And, and I know my team did as well. Yeah, yeah. I love the clarity there because it was clear what that meeting was for. Maybe I could call it camaraderie, but human connection. You use the word human several times. I like that. And also the clarity with the fact that your report outs, your numbers, your dashboards, That's accessible to people. You don't need to sit around a table or on a Zoom call to spout those things off. It can be a memo. It can sit on the dashboard. So I think that's one of the other important questions before a meeting gets scheduled is, can it be a memo? 100%. And in the age of the wonderful technology that so many of us have access to now, we can literally, we've got shared sites. I mean, gee whiz, look what you and I do, Mel. We share information across a couple of digital sites. We don't need to have a meeting every week. I think if you think about engaging the greatness in others, it's that as well. And I'm talking from a leadership perspective. What do the people in my team need from me? And I knew at that time that they really needed me to create this space for them as a group of humans. And If they needed information about other stuff, they could ask. Or if they wanted to share information about other stuff, they could ask. And of course, we would have tactical things in between times that that would go on, et cetera, et cetera. But you said that the right word, clarity, and with clarity comes an agenda. And I've been so clear before, I just do not turn up to meetings that don't have an agenda. Mm, Yeah. And I want to add something to that. So 
when does a meeting need to have an agenda, I think is one question. But then the other thing I'll layer on top of that is that there's some research that has shown that it doesn't make the world better. It doesn't make your meeting more effective solely because you have an agenda. There's actually a little more criteria beyond that. So the main indicator is if you can use the same agenda over and over again, it's not an effective agenda. So the agenda has to be truly meeting specific and also have time limits associated with it. But, you know, what do you think about that? And someone keeping time. Yeah. Interestingly enough, I was observing a meeting yesterday that my lovely wife was on a board meeting and it was not running to time and they were not sticking to the agenda. And there was a particular critical matter that she repeatedly said, we are running out of time. We need to get this critical item discussed. And the other participants were running down non-critical rabbit holes. And I thought, oh, that's quite timely given Mel and I recording this episode today, because I could see an, this ineffectiveness of this meeting and also the frustration of not only my lovely wife, but I could hear it on the teleconference that she was on from other participants, people talking over the top of each other, putting their own agenda first rather than this is what we're here to do. And I think agenda was the wrong word for me to use. It's the objective. What is the objective of this meeting? If I'm going to spend 55 or whatever minutes in a meeting and I walk out the door, am I going to say that was an excellent use, an excellent investment of my time and the company's resources? And if it wasn't, why not? And what am I going to do about that? And as a meeting participant, maybe there's some feedback to be given as a meeting leader or facilitator, really examine what made this meeting effective, what made it not as effective as it could have been. Okay, so we've talked about a few different types of meetings, decision-making, discussions. Somebody on another podcast mentioned working sessions, and I almost feel like it's a misnomer to call that a meeting, right, if you're coming together to work on a project or something, but we still maybe think about it that way in our minds. So is there any other kind of meeting that you would want to call out here? Um, oh God, I think it's meeting culture that does my head in and we could find labels for all sorts of meetings. The reality is that we could and we will and organisations will unless they start to stop and think really critically about the ways of working and the ways of making decisions and the ways of taking the business forward. And I've repeatedly said to anyone that wants to listen, What is the most effective use of my time in the next one hour, one day, one week, one month? Am I working on the right stack of work? And when we talk about the right stack of work, we're saying, am I leading for outcomes? And this rests on you knowing what outcomes you're leading for. So what is your positional purpose, i.e., why does the company pay you a salary? Why do they invest in you? How are you measuring your success towards that goal? And will this meeting contribute towards that? Now, there are a range of different things where people go, well, actually, I went to that meeting that didn't really contribute, but that that was for someone else's goal. Okay, we've got to be good colleagues and, and contribute in different ways. But the other thing on top of this is 
again, I'm coming back to the S word, strategic. I want you to be really strategic. If you are going to front up to a meeting, I want you to be prepared Mm. for it. Just running into a meeting with two minutes to spare or not, because, you know, how many meetings start late does my head in. But running in and thinking, oh, shivers, I better read the agenda as the facilitators reading the agenda and saying this is what it's about. You know, that's not being strategic. Show up, show up properly, which means you've prepared for your meeting. You know what the agenda is. You know what your role is in the meeting. And I tell you what, this will give you a good opportunity to not go to a lot of meetings. You know what your role is in the meeting. You have done the required reading. I will admit it. I've been in meetings where people have gone, oh, well, we'll take the papers as read. And I thought, well, well, I haven't read them, but I'll give it a crack when people ask me about it. No, that's not good enough. You know, my younger self, I would give myself advice. Book in time into your calendar, doing the required reading or preparation for your meetings. Put it in your calendar because it can't just magically happen. For any of us at any level, that's showing up as a leader. That's being strategic. And, you know, if you start to do that and you think, I'm not really sure what my role is in this meeting, really not sure if I should be there. But you don't feel you can push back and say no to the meeting. Have a conversation with your boss and say, hey, I've done my reading and the preparation for this meeting. I don't think I'm required. Mm. And here are the reasons why. This is another way of demonstrating to your boss and others that you are thinking critically and strategically about your role in the organisation and, of course, in the meeting. Michelle, I wonder if you might give us your thoughts on tardiness and people being late and when we start meetings so (laughs) listeners I just rolled my eyes and my head and did a big sigh because I know why people are late to meetings and it happens I've got to tell you on pretty much every corporate meeting that I attend we'll just wait a few minutes for everyone to join and in my head I always have the same dialogue or the same narrative running through it which is so is my time less important and less valuable than that person who is now late? And I know things happen, but I also know that this is a symptom of the fact that we, and I say we because I used to do it, book in back-to-back meetings, which means you are literally running or clicking in and clicking out of back-to-back meetings. With very rare exceptions, I do not do that anymore. And here's one thing that happens. So I use a calendar scheduling tool and that calendar scheduling tool, every time I set up the bits and bobs and those nuts and bolts behind the scenes, it automatically locks out time before and after a meeting for prep and for debrief or, you know, whatever post-meeting stuff. And you can select 15 minutes, 30 minutes or an hour. So I have a minimum default of half an hour before a meeting, half an hour after a meeting, because my meetings, I always have to prepare for. I can't show up to meetings with my clients or potential clients not being prepared. And I certainly have work to do afterwards. So why didn't I do that in my corporate career? And why don't we do that? I I know I've gone down a rabbit hole there, Mel, but I know why people are late because they're in back-to-back meetings. And this is because... Perhaps they don't think they have the authority to push back on some of those meetings or don't have the authority over their own calendars or diary. And it is absolutely about, well, are we really being effective and are the meeting conveners and attendees being effective? And if you're in back-to-back meetings and continually running late, 
you're not being effective. And I've got to say, for someone like me who convenes me, bottom line is, it happens a lot in the programs that I run for corporate clients. Tell us about it. What happens in those well, meetings, Michelle? People turn up late and I just start. I'm paid by my clients to deliver. I get paid whether they turn up on time or not. But here's what happens. So A, there'll be people who will miss out on perhaps some critical part of the meeting because they're late. I get very frustrated. But anyway, I've got to shelve that. You know what? It just tells me about an organization's culture and it tells me about that particular individual and it does them brand damage. And the way I, I look at things is you just never know who's on a call or in a meeting that observes you as someone who rushes in at the last minute if it's in a face-to-face meeting, clutching your coffee and your papers and tries to sneak in down the end of the meeting room table or sneaks into a Zoom meeting or a Teams meeting or whatever and doesn't have the camera on and then has it on. You know, it's just brand damage, folks. Like There are leaders who are watching you going, wow, you couldn't get to my meeting on time. Okay. And if it's a repeat thing for you, that's brand damage. And that's not a great way to burnish your leadership brand. This kind of brings us to one of the the facts that we came across, which is that some research showed that executives spend about 40% of their time in meetings attempting to make decisions. And This is important whether you're an executive or not, because the implication here is that delegation needs to happen that's not happening. And what I hear in that description that you just gave of this, you know, I'm using air quotes, like busy person who's flustered and isn't ready to go, is that they're not effectively delegating. And we know that the research also shows that delegation is one of the areas where women tend to rank lower than male counterparts, according to their managers. So give us a bit on delegation here, Michelle. And showing up. Yeah. So I think there's two things here. And one thing that comes to mind is, you know, there's a quote by McKinsey around, says your goal should be to treat your leadership capacity a finite resource as seriously as your company treats financial capital an equally finite one. So this is a really important consideration for leaders at every level but for executive leaders, senior leaders and those aspiring to a senior and executive leaders you cannot go to every meeting every day every week and if you are I wonder how you're getting your deep work done, how you're thinking critically about stuff and how you are developing the pipeline of talent that's coming after you. Now, we've talked before about succession planning and things like that, but if you are not delegating effectively, A, you're doing all the stuff and some of that stuff you need to let go of. And B, you're not developing the skills of the folks in your team that you're leading on how to show up to these meetings, how to be effective in meetings, how to make decisions. And of course, having exposure to how others make effective decisions or work through the decision-making process. And we talk about this in PI mentoring. The E in PI is exposure, exposure to decision-makers and decision-making. And that's hugely, hugely important that we give people that opportunity. So, 
that's some of the reasons that delegation are important. Using your time effectively. And if you are in meetings all the time, when are you really doing that critical, deep thinking work? And frankly, just some of your admin that just comes with being a manager. Two, you're not developing the people, the talent that's coming after you to show up in in these meetings. And three, if you are perceived as someone who cannot delegate, you are enhancing that. You are enhancing the impression that you're not a delegator. And if you can't delegate from your own role, you're never going to get the next role because quite simply, you won't have time to work out what your boss's role is and your boss's boss's, what the imperatives around that are. So being able to delegate and delegate some of your meeting attendance is hugely important for all of those reasons. Let's just repeat that because I don't think we've ever said that explicitly on the podcast before. If you can't delegate in your current role, how are you going to be seen as a leader that can effectively manage and delegate in the next role up that you're trying to get? Okay, so here's where I want to go next. There's different roles in a meeting. There are roles like decision maker, someone who actually has a vote on the decision that needs to be made. There are advisors, which can be people who are affected by a decision, but they don't have a vote on the final decision. There are recommenders. They're kind of organizers who bring together the recommendations that have been brought forward. They can articulate what gets selected, the pros and cons of each, etc., And then there can be execution partners where their job is to implement or execute on the decision being made. And then there could be other roles as well, including spectator. So let's suppose that we're getting real clear on this. We're getting real clear on why our meeting needs to happen, who needs to be in the meeting and what their roles are. So unpack for us next, Michelle, how do we make meetings more inclusive. I know that the tendency can be to go down the path where, you know, we want everyone involved and everyone to get a vote, but that's not effective leadership. So give us the lowdown here. There's a whole bunch of stuff there. There's a whole other podcast in, in being a more inclusive leader and running more inclusive meetings. And I think we'll pencil that in listeners, but you've actually hit at the start on what's most important is who has decision rights. And I always go back to the good old RACI, Responsible, Accountable, Consult, Inform. And RACI comes in and out of fashion. But I always say accountable is where the buck stops. So the accountable person is going to be the person who has to front up to whomever to say, this is the decision. Here's the justification for it. Yes, I'm going to wear it, the good, the bad, and and the indifferent. And when you're looking at those roles in a meeting, you know, I really want to separate decision-making. If there's a critical decision to be made, there will be consult meetings. There will be inform forums. And I'm going to say forums rather than meetings because I think sometimes we can provide information. In fact, we should provide information that's not necessarily a meeting unless there's some scene setting and things like that. But responsible and accountable people They're the people who need to be very, very clear that I need to make a decision and then this is the person responsible for implementing that decision. So what we have to do as leaders is say, is this a call I'm going to make? 
is this my job to make the call? And going out and getting consensus from every person in the meeting, particularly if it's a large one, that's not decision-making. That is gathering information to help you make a decision. And I want people to be much, much clearer. Yes, we have to gather information to make decisions. Now, depending on the type of preferences you have, some people will want lots of data and data can come in written form, verbal form, you know, qualitative, quantitative. But at some point you're going to have to make a call if you're responsible or accountable. And one of these things is, do I feel safe to make a call? Do I not want to make a call? Do I just want to make a namby-pamby call because, you know, the risks are too great because our culture doesn't reward failure or, you know, stuff-ups or anything like that. So I think, you know, this is another rabbit hole we're going down. But the reality is if it's your job to make the decision, don't mix up consultation and providing information with a decision-making forum or a forum to help you make the decisions. So those people who you are consulting and informing should not be in the decision-making forum. Yeah, I just want to interject real quick on the informing part. When you know, when you said forum, you reminded me of our episode with Molly Beck, and she's the CEO of a company called Messy that provides internal podcasting services. So all you leaders out there, there's more ways to inform your team members and communicate than just email and dashboards. There's also audio and video. There's podcasting internally. It's just so great. It's such a great option. So and, and internal social media, things like Yammer and I keep calling it workbook, whatever the Facebook for work is, those kind of things. They are valid forums for cascading information. So summary there, if you're a decision maker, don't mix up getting information to help you make a decision with a decision-making forum. And it is not fair to the others in the room if they're a consult-informed person. It's not fair for them to be in the room because if you're asking them and trying to gain some kind of consensus and they feel like they've got a stake in it or decision-making rights or, you know, one way or the other, yes, no, this is mixing up roles and responsibilities. And this is where we've got to get much, much clearer. What's the objective of this meeting? Who needs to be there and what role and responsibility do they have? And when I walk out at the end of the meeting, will those objectives be met? Will I have the information I need to make a decision? Will I have made a decision? Will the person who has to implement that decision, are they clear on what they need to do next? Mm. We've just got to be a lot more strategic and bake in time. Prepare for your meeting and prepare for the time after the meeting when you've got some doing stuff. And that includes cascading outputs of the meeting to the consult, the informs and the mm. responsibles. All right. Before we wrap here, let's leave listeners who are getting invited to meetings a tip or two on maybe how they can gently challenge their invitation to a meeting. So let's suppose someone more junior realizes, hey, I'm getting invited to too many meetings and I need, I need to be able to say no to some of them. How would you recommend they approach that conversation with their boss? Well, number one is have the mindset shift that I don't need to be in all these meetings as good as it makes my ego feel. So let, let's really confront our egos to start off with. Then the second thing is to ask yourself is if I'm not going to get some critical stuff done because I'm showing up to these meetings, 
could I stand in front of the CEO and say, I'm awfully sorry, CEO. I didn't get the thing done that I'm paid to do because I went to meetings. Can you say that? No. Then the third thing is to go to your boss and say, boss, here's my positional purpose. Here's what I'm here to do. Here's what our team is responsible to do. I've got two or three meetings that I don't think are aligned to that. Can you help me navigate appropriately pushing back on those meetings? And then that's a way of engaging the greatness in your boss. And your boss will say, actually, let me give you some extra context. I really do think you should be at that meeting. Okay, so what should I drop then? Because I haven't got the capacity to do and be really effective this week. So you're really getting your boss to help you prioritise working on the right stack of work. Or your boss says, wow, Michelle, you're right. You shouldn't be at those meetings. That's not a good use of your time. It's not the best use of your time. Leave it with me. I'll have a word with the meeting convener and we'll make sure the most appropriate people are there. We don't have to feel powerless. No woman is an island, as I always say. So involve your boss, but do the work first. Start thinking, what is my positional Mm. purpose? How can I be the most effective today, this week, this month to lead for outcomes? I I love what you described so much because it's using your language to get your superior on board with what you need to be doing. It's just really engaging. Thank you for that advice. Pleasure. What would you say to the folks listening? Michelle, I think the thing that I would offer to our listeners is as an organizer of a meeting, be really clear on what the meeting's about and who it's for. And I think a prompt here can be that oftentimes a manager feels like they've got to facilitate the meeting themselves and they would actually welcome a junior person stepping up and saying, hey, I would like to help you with these meetings. I'd like to help set the agenda and help set some barriers around time and whatnot so this meeting really gets used effectively for our entire team. So I think there's the call to action for leaders, yes, but there's also lots of room here for you as a staff member, a team member, to step up and start to steer things and support your leadership, right? Where everyone has a lot on their plate, a lot uh, that they're thinking about and a lot on their mind. And sometimes we can get into sort of these habits around our meetings and what we feel like we're obligated to do. And it might just take you as a catalyst to interrupt that and shift things in a better direction. Great advice. And To wrap us up, listeners, as we do when Mel and I record these episodes, we have a lot of aha moments ourselves about, aha, we need to talk about that next. So stay tuned for part two. And part two is going to be around inclusive meetings because that's an art as well. And I think you've really touched on some of that there, Mel, in your advice. So let's go deeper on that in uh, one of our episodes to come up. Love it. Thanks, Michelle. Bye, everybody. Awesome. Thanks, Mel. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lead to Soar. We sincerely appreciate your honest, positive reviews. You can leave questions at leadtosoar.com for Michelle and Mel to answer on future episodes. Until next time, we hope you'll use what you've learned here and lead to soar.